Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Ice the Kicker alongside Matt Ferrara. My name is Glenn Denegris. It was um, kind of a boring game. It's not the classic Super Bowl that we've come accustomed to. Most of the time, it's down to the wire. Last week, we kind of assumed that it would be, but it wasn't. It was Tampa Bay really putting full throttle on the Chiefs, really from the get-go. 31-9, to Kansas City does not score a single touchdown in this game, held to just three field goals. Mahomes running for his life the entire game. Chief off- Chiefs offensive line just had nothing. They had a few injuries, but that's that's no excuse by the time you get to the Super Bowl. And I think the big story that's going to come out of the Super Bowl is Tom Brady, first year in a new organization after 20 years in New England, gets that seventh Super Bowl. And he brings along Gronkowski, who had two touchdown catches along with him. Brady's the mm-hmm. MVP. And you can make the argument, Matt, that you know Brady might have not really deserved the MVP. And instead, it was that defense of Tampa Bay that really just shut Kansas City down. Uh, they couldn't get anything going. Um, Kelsey, uh, Hill, crucial drops at various points in this game. And Tampa Bay, they took advantage. The Kansas City defense kind of unraveled a little bit, lost their composure with the Matthew and Brady kind of back and forth. But, you know, the better team was Tampa Bay and the better team won the Super Bowl. Yeah, I just really thought, like, again, I wasn't surprised with how good the defense was for the for the Buccaneers, but I definitely didn't expect the Chiefs to not score one touchdown. Like they looked bad. And I know they looked bad, which also means that Tampa Bay's defense looked good too. But like like you said, there were some key drops. There were some key penalties. There were some key coaching blunders that we'll get into a little bit later. But it, it just you really looked at the Chiefs and they didn't play half as good as they usually do and the Buccaneers were firing on every single cylinder possible and I feel like you have to tip the cap to the coaching staff and to Brady for that leadership to have them playing the best in the biggest game of the season I mean I don't know who else do you give credit to you got to give credit to Brady you got to give credit to Arians obviously Todd Bowles the defensive coordinator for the Buccaneers deserves a ton of credit for being able to neutralize that Kansas City offense and, you know, I, I don't want to take anything away from Tampa Bay because they deserve to win this game and they were the better team over the course of the 60-minute football game that we watched on Sunday. But a couple things. One, Kansas City looked like they never played in a Super Bowl before and they were in the Super mm-hmm. Bowl last year. Like they've never played in a big game before. Almost like the moment was too big for them. I don't know how that's possible with all the big games that this team has played in over the last three years. Two... A lot of, and I know this sounds like, you know, a classic, you know, Brady hater guy, Mm -hmm. but there was a lot of questionable penalties on the defensive Mm -hmm. side for the Kansas City Chiefs. The one that really um, sticks out into my head was there, Brady threw a ball into the back of the end zone, wasn't catchable, Mm -hmm. but they still called a hold or the pass interference on Matthew. And that put the ball at the one yard line. That's one. Um, Somebody lined up in the neutral zone on a, Field goal attempt field goal. kept that same drive alive. Next play, I think, was to Gronk, or it was a different mm-hmm. drive, but next play was to Gronk for a touchdown. So that's seven points instead of three. Um, that trip on Mike uh, Evans, Mike Evans down the far sideline, that was questionable in my opinion because you can make the argument that Brady kind of overthrew him a little bit, but you know that's too mm-hmm. close to call. I was fine with that call, even though it could have gone either way. 
but mm-hmm. just everything that could have gone wrong for the Chiefs went wrong. Yeah, so basically, like like you said, the the Mike Evans one, I definitely think was a penalty. Now, it's, I still also think it easily probably was overthrown, but I was fine with that call. The Matthew call in the end zone, I wasn't really fine with because even though Matthew kind of made contact, kind of, the ball was 30 rows into the stand. So I didn't really understand that ruling at all. And then again, it, and then going now to the blunders of the Chiefs, the, the biggest one I think is that neutral zone infraction on the field goal. Like, like what are you doing? And again, like you said, that instead of three points, now it's seven points. And then another big thing, kind of turning point in the game was end of the first half, Buccaneers have the ball. It's like third and one. And there's like 40 seconds left and Kansas City calls timeout. Yeah. Like that to me made absolutely zero sense. The best case scenario there is you stop them, you call your second or third timeout, and then you get the ball back. You're assuming at best at the 20, you, like, like your own 20 mm-hmm. with 35 seconds left. You're, yeah. you're not doing it and, and one timeout. Like you're not doing anything with that. The, the, that made absolutely no sense to me. And then that drive ended up being another seven points. So a 14-point swing off one coaching blunder and then one blunder on defense with the special teams. Yeah, it made no sense, especially because the Chiefs were getting the ball back at the start of the third quarter anyway. So there's really no point to Mm kind of get greedy there. I could have understood it if they were not going to get the ball at the end of the half or when the third Mm -hmm. quarter started so that you know they wanted to get points on the board before they had to give it back to Brady. But I agree with you a thousand percent. There was no reason to call a timeout there. Helped the Buccaneers and helped Tom Brady um, immensely. The last thing you want to do is stop the clock for Tom Brady at the end of a half. It's the last thing you want to do. Opinion, Matt. The game turns in favor of the Buccaneers dramatically on that soft holding call on the interception that was negated. Yes. That was Mm -hmm. the complete game changer in this game because I don't know exactly what the score was, but the game was still well within reach. It might've been 14 to six. I don't know exactly when Mm -hmm. it was. I can, I, when I get a chance, I'll look it up, but Mm -hmm. you know, Chiefs get that interception there. All the momentum in the world goes back to Kansas city. And you know, who knows, maybe Patrick Mahomes drives down the field. They score Chiefs have the lead. Bam. It's a different game. That penalty Mm -hmm. me penalty to me was very soft, especially since it occurred nowhere near where the ball was. It was on Brady yeah. threw it more towards the slot, got tipped and picked. That penalty was on the outside. I didn't like that call at all. Yeah. I mean, again, this just goes back to, I think an issue that is, is in all sports for the most part. And we kind of foreshadowed uh, a refing issue or officiating issue against the Bucks and uh, Green Bay game where they were letting everything play. Whether people liked it or not, they were letting everything play. And by the rules, they were clearly letting a lot slide in and quote-unquote missing calls. Now, people were kind of like, oh, well, like you let them play. And then obviously that play at the end, which was a holding, the guy's jersey was yanked. And they're like, how do you call that now? And that's what we talked about saying how, hey, like just call it right from the beginning. And now flash forward in, into this game, kind of a similar issue where they were too, I guess, sensitive to to contact and they were calling too many fouls. And then it's like, there's certain ones that they let go. And then there's certain ones that they call. And then just, again, it's always in the biggest stages of, of sports that the officiating seems to have too much of an impact on the game. And you hate to go, uh, 
or leave this game, whether you're a Chiefs fan or a Buccaneers fan, and have the game kind of be in question, like like Brady's seventh ring, were questioning because there was a lot of kind of malpractice in the officiating. And then as a Chiefs fan, they probably feel like they kind of got robbed in some sense. And again, not totally because their offense basically just collapsed, but they couldn't really do anything on defense because every time they put a hand on a defender, for the most part, it was going to be called a penalty. So a very kind of bland, blah, like kind of outcome from the game just because we felt that the officials played too much of a role. The last thing you want in a championship game, especially the Super Bowl, is for the referees to have their fingerprints all over the game. And I'm not saying that Mm -hmm. the Chiefs lost because the questionable calls on the pass interferences or on the holdings because the Chiefs would have lost the game anyway. Uh, Kelsey dropped a ball on a third down that would have extended a drive. That was um, huge. Yeah, there was two penal- There was two uh, throws that Mahomes made. One of them, we'll get to it later about the pressure that was on Mahomes. One of them, he mm-hmm. threw parallel to the ground, thirty yards in the air, mm-hmm. hit a receiver in the face mask in the end zone. There was another <laughs> one earlier in the game where you know Mahomes scrambled down the far sideline, turned his body kind of like a shortstop in the in the center field hole, like flipping it to first, mm-hmm. threw it forty yards down the field, hit Tyreek Hill in the helmet incomplete. Like there was reasons why the chiefs won that have nothing to do with the officiating. It's just unfortunate that, you know, there was some questionable calls that could have changed the momentum in the game. Like if those calls Mm -hmm. aren't made, some touchdowns turn into field goals, some field goals turn into, you know, what was an interception. The game's different, but at the end of the day, the chiefs didn't deserve to win this game. And I think that the chiefs didn't deserve to win this game. It's because, is because, their offensive line probably played the worst football I've ever seen an offensive line play given the circumstances. Now I'm a Giants fan. I've seen a lot of bad offensive lines in my day. That's kind of like our staple. Eric Flowers like still keeps me up at night. Like those, you know, Eli Manning um, lost dozens of games over the last seven years of his career because he didn't have an offensive line. So I know, mm-hmm. I know a bad offensive line when I see one. That offensive yeah. line was horrendous. Like Patrick Mahomes, mm-hmm. could, I'm watching the highlights to my left right now. Patrick Mahomes had no chance. I don't care how great of a quarterback you are. Uh, you could be the best yeah. quarterback of all time, right? You're not going to win when your offensive line is, you know, basically parting the Red Sea and no, you, you have nowhere to go. Yeah, I mean, it was an absolute perfect storm for the Buccaneers defense that their front four and even their linebackers as well are probably combined top five in the league. And they played against a injured chiefs offensive line and an offensive line for the chiefs that just played horrendous. Like you said, I mean, I can't tell you how many times JPP on the edge would just run right past no move, no shimmy, no nothing, just literally sprinted past them. And every single time you would see, the offensive lineman's number, the back of their jersey, going to try to protect Mahomes, and they were just chasing after the D lineman. It was just like borderline comical, and and you it made you question like is, this is the team that made the Super Bowl? Like this is the team that represented the AFC? Like I was just kind, very kind of I was like, shocked. shook. Yeah, shocked. It, it, it 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 didn't. It didn't make any sense. Like it, it, and it wasn't even like, oh, well, the Buccaneers figured out the secret recipe. Like, no, they just got a ridiculous amount of pressure. I mean, and I, I sent that stat to you and Stick earlier, saying how the amount of uh, 
pressures on or from the Bucks was 38 and from the Chiefs on Brady was five. I mean, that is just ridiculous. You can't win games like that. Um, you like pa- Patrick Mahomes is a great band aid for any, I guess, issues that the offensive line might have. But when literally mm-hmm. nobody on that offensive line is blocking anybody, Patrick Mahomes, there was nothing more he could do. And if you go back and watch the highlights of the throws he was making under duress, it's mm-hmm. even crazier watching it in hindsight than watching it in real time. Those are the he's making the same exact throws that he makes during the regular season that you just mm-hmm. you shake your head and saying, how is this humanly possible? The only problem is, you know, the receivers today or on Sunday didn't catch them. Hill yeah. missed dropped some passes. Yeah, Kelsey dropped a huge pass. Um, there was really nobody else that kind of stepped up. Watkins, I think, mm-hmm. had one catch. Um, Pringle wasn't around other than like yeah. some special teams. But like there was nobody there yeah. to help Mahomes. And I I mean, Mahomes wasn't great. He didn't have, you know, he didn't play the game that he's capable of playing, but it's hard to do that when, you know, nobody on your team helps you. Um, I thought Mahomes, I, I don't know if you agree with me. And I guess this is how I'm sounding. I put no blame on this game on Patrick Mahomes. Like, what could he have done? Yeah, no, uh, uh, that's kind of how I think everybody needs to look at whatever their quarterback or team situation is. And obviously, everybody wants to blame the quarterback. But I feel like for the first time in the history of the NFL, we saw the losing team and we didn't put the blame on the quarterback. And I think it's refreshing to see that because, like you said, Nobody could have done anything. There was no better person for that job that day behind that offensive line. Like, you would have had the same exact result, if not worse, with any other single player yeah, in the history you of the NFL. quarterbacks, it's the same thing. The same thing happens if you switch quarterbacks. If you put Brady on that Chiefs team with that offensive line, um, he doesn't even get out of the pocket to make the throws that Mahomes made. It'd probably be even worse. So, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a rough... It's a rough loss, and we'll get into the future of Kansas City in a bit, but I do want to highlight Tom Brady because this is his seventh championship, and he <laughs> deserves it. Um, really can't argue. It's hard to argue that it was Belichick now because he did this without Belichick. Um, mm-hmm. I remember in the NBA years ago, before before Kobe was able to win without Shaq, it was it's Shaq, not Kobe, because Shaq left. He won with Miami. And Kobe was with the Lakers and the team wasn't good for a little bit. But then Kobe finally won. This this is all Tom Brady. Tom Brady deserved he played he played okay. He didn't it wasn't an MVP performance, but he did what he needed to do. This guy is mm-hmm. just a winner, and winning follows him wherever he goes. When we went when he signed a year ago or eleven months ago, whenever it was, with Tampa Bay, we thought it would be a success if he just brought Tampa Bay to the playoffs because Tampa Bay is an organization other than the Super Bowl 18 years ago really doesn't make the playoffs much not really known for being a winning organization Tom Brady brought Mm -hmm. what was you know a perennial losing organization that at best would go eight and eight and surprise maybe make it into a wild card he brought them in year one to a Super Bowl championship it does he can't prove anything else in his career yeah, I mean, again, I know people want to bash his like physical abilities and his stats and this, that, and the other thing. You can't put a price on good leadership. I mean, and you look what he brought. Besides the fact that he brings him his, himself and his leadership 
You brought in Gronk, who was only going with Brady. I would even say Antonio Brown was going only to the Bucks because of Brady. And then you look at another pickup, not because of Brady, but just a one-year guy in Fournette, too. I mean, four monumental key players to this team that were all basically on, on one-year deals, or this was their first year in Tampa Bay. And a lot of that is because of Brady. Like, I doubt the, the Buccaneers bring in Fournette if they don't have Brady and are in a win-now mode. So it's just – and again, it's not bringing that, obviously, AB either. That's what I mean. So it, it's just it, – it's people need to kind of, like, check themselves a little bit when they hate on Brady for, like, his skills or anything like that because he does so much for franchises, and you cannot deny that. It's just his level of expertise for the sport of football – needs to be appreciated like we cannot go down year after year after year of this guy's career and just try to bash him try to bash him try to bash him because by the time we do he's going to be 46 years old and still winning super bowls he seems to have this contagious aura of winning and success like it's not just going to be him that's going to step up but he makes people around him elevate their talent and elevate their level of play and there's only a few Mm -hmm. athletes that we've ever seen be like that. LeBron James does mm-hmm. that. Um, I don't think you can even say a guy like Kobe did that. Uh, did MJ really didn't do that? MJ, I guess, yeah, MJ did. Um, I remember the last mm-hmm. dance documentary where he got like emotional because he was so demanding of his teammates. But the great athletes, I would say MJ. I don't know if Kobe was like that. LeBron's definitely like that. Hard to be in baseball because it's such an individual team sport. Yeah. But, you know, he has to be up there with those great, you know, guys great athletes that not only perform well individually but also seem to get the best out of their own teammates yeah i mean i think that's something that when people talk about and scouts talk about do they have that it factor and then when they really look at somebody's value a quarterback or a player do they make the other players around them better that's kind of what you have to look at and tom brady does that probably better than anybody Oh, and then, or maybe he's second to Aaron Rodgers, but I mean, outside of them two, they make everybody better. Just kind of, it's plain and simple. And he has done it for his whole entire career. Yeah. Um, it, it, I, I was thinking back to when his free agency started, and it really mm-hmm. seemed to be either the Patriots or the Buccaneers. I, in, in hindsight, I can't believe that more teams weren't in on him. There had to be I so mean, many I'd... teams. Like, if he could do it for the Buccaneers. There had to be other organizations that had a similar talent level to Tampa Bay that could have used Tom Brady and boom, maybe they're in the Super Bowl. But everybody's so in love that with these young quarterbacks with like Watson and Mahomes and Jackson mm-hmm. and Allen and Mayfield. And they should be because they're going to be the next generation of great quarterbacks in this league. But mm-hmm. it, it, a lot of teams had the opportunity to bring in Tom Brady and make a run at this Super Bowl. And they didn't do it. And I give a lot of credit to the Tampa Bay, I guess, front office for kind of taking the road less traveled. Instead of getting the young stud quarterback and building around him, they said, let's just win the Super Bowl now or take a shot to win the Super Bowl now. And they did that Mm -hmm. and it paid off. Yeah, I mean, they were sitting at like the 14th pick in the draft in the first round, something like that. They could have went with uh, a Jalen Hurts and they could have said, hey, he's going to be our franchise quarterback you wouldn't have gotten nearly the same result as you did now. So just, again, absolute tip of the cap to them for saying, hey, our roster right now is perfectly constructed to win, I guess, outside of the quarterback because obviously they had Jameis prior, 
And obviously Arians wasn't going to wait around for some crazy rebuild or a rookie quarterback. So they just said, screw it. Like, let's, let's go all in and you bring in Brady and then you bring in Gronk and then you bring in AB and you bring in Fournette. So, I mean, that like, like this was a perfect example of a team buying in to a Super Bowl that year. And they did it without having to trade multiple first round picks for a quarterback or for any player for that matter. They didn't, drop bank in the offseason besides on Brady himself outside of him they didn't really do much and now they have flexibility this offseason to kind of continue their greatness basically they're not strapped for cash they, they still have all seven of, of their draft picks so this is what a good team does or even a, a great team does from a front a front office standpoint Yeah, if I'm a team, if I'm a fan of a team, let's say like the Cowboys or the Eagles, right? Um, Who else is out there that could have the Raiders, the Chargers, the Rams this year, the Mm -hmm. Niners, even though they made it to the Super Bowl the year before? Like all those teams, if you put Brady, that's, I guess, I would say if you, if you take away Brady and the people he brought into the Buccaneers and you put them straight up against, you know, a team like the Eagles or the Cowboys or the Rams. That's a similar roster. So if mm-hmm. I'm a fan of one of those teams, I'm kind of kicking myself saying we missed an opportunity to get a quick Super Bowl with Tom Brady. Yeah, I mean, it's something that people need to be hypercritical of their quarterback play after you've seen them with a full complete cast. Like you look at Carson Wentz, like you knew what you were going to get with Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, especially you knew what you were going to get with Jared Goff by year, whatever it is, six for him, seven for him. I don't even know what it is. So once you get to that point, and that's what makes it so difficult because every, the stakes are always higher when you're paying these guys their second contract, which is going to get them hundreds of millions of dollars and probably $30 million a year. So now it's easy to move on from a rookie quarterback because they're only getting paid $8 million. So this was a perfect situation and timeline for the Buccaneers to get rid of Jameis. You weren't strapped for cash, like I was saying before, and then bring in Brady as a plug-and-play winner. Uh, let's talk about the um, narrative now between Brady and Belichick. And we've been kind of hinting mm-hmm. about this last week when we kind of preview this had Tom Brady won this game, then, you know, Bill Belichick's legacy might not be as great as it, as it used to be. Um, Brady did win and he does have the seventh Super Bowl, and he proved that he can do it without Belichick. Now, if Belichick's or in the, and if you're Belichick and you're Robert Kraft and you're trying to protect this, I guess, um, I get uh, what's the word I'm looking for. If you're trying to protect this, I guess, or of winning culture mm-hmm. is the word I'm looking for. If you're trying to protect this mm-hmm. culture that you built in new England and you let your super bowl winning quarterback go out the door and he proved that he can do it without you. That's, that's a little bit of a problem for new England. And if I'm, you know, the front office, I'm feeling a little pressure to get this turned around as quickly as possible because Belichick's not getting any younger and he has all of a sudden, something to prove that he can win now without Brady. Yeah. I mean, again, this year, I think for the Patriots was a wash. And I think Belichick basically admitted that on multiple uh, media outlets that he said, basically, Hey, we sold out years prior. We made it to X amount of championships and we won X amount of championships. So this is the result you get basically dissing Cam Newton. And they're like, yeah, we're paying him $1 million and he stinks. But now the issue at hand is that yes, they have a good amount of draft capital and they have a good amount of cap space, but are players going to be jumping at the bit to go to New England? And and that's the thing. 
when Tom Brady's there, without a doubt, you're going to have people lining up at the door at Foxborough to come play for them. But right now, like, that's what I mean. I, I just, I, I don't know if that Patriot way is going to be the same thing without Brady there because there's really, like, what is uh, enticing about going to the Patriots right now? A team with no quarterback and a yeah. team with kind of no direction, I guess you would say. I still think the coaching staff is great. But they, I don't know what their vision is, I guess, for 2021 or even 2022 uh, after that. Yeah, if you're a big-time free agent and you're deciding between the Patriots and the Buccaneers, why would you pick the Patriots after what we just saw this year? Because you have Tom Brady. Mm -hmm. He's the one that left and won anyway. He's the guy that's the player. He's on the field with you. He's the leader, and he's going to lead you to a championship. And also... Mm -hmm comparing personalities, it seems like, you know, Brady's a little bit more down to earth than I guess Bill Belichick is like, we see Tom Brady. He, he's on, he's on Twitter. He's on Instagram. He does these things. He's more mm -hmm. relatable to the free agent player than Bill Belichick is. Now, I guess the pressure now is squarely on Bill Belichick because before when Tom left, before he won the Super Bowl, you would like to see Bill Belichick, you know, win and prove that he wasn't, but it wasn't, I guess, mandatory for his legacy for him to do that. Now with Brady winning a Super Bowl without him, I think, in my opinion, it's mandatory. Bill Belichick has to win another Super Bowl before his career is over because it, his legacy is completely not washed, not completely deleted because, you know, he's one of the greatest coaches of all time. But mm -hmm. he needs to prove that he could lead another guy to a Super Bowl championship because they both came in at the same year and they both had the 20 year stretch together. And then once you leave, once one guy leaves, he's fine. And you know, the Patriots still struggled this year. If there's a marriage mm -hmm. for 20 years and you know, there's a divorce and then one gets remarried and has this wonderful life with another family and the other one's mm -hmm. alone for the rest of his life, who, who, who had the better deal. Right. So I think yeah. Bill Belichick needs to get another Super Bowl with another quarterback, preferably a young one, and then groom mm -hmm. him to take over with, I guess, McDaniels, who's waiting for the wings yeah. for Belichick to retire and kind of have that soar and be his lasting legacy as they as they continue the career when Belichick steps down. Yeah, I mean, I think you said it perfectly, and we've seen that kind of narrative a lot in other sports. I mean, you saw it with Kobe. Oh, Kobe had Shaq, so his biggest thing was I got to win something without him. And then you saw Jordan with with Pippen. People always kind of try to bring down Jordan because he he needed Pippen and he needed Robin and this that and the other. Then LeBron. I mean, I think his biggest feat, I think, in the history of of, of the NBA was that. He won without after those heat years when he had yeah, a stack. And you team. can make the argument that Durant has to win now without Curry and Thompson. Exactly. So you always see this narrative again. Obviously, when you're at the forefront of a sport and you're the head of the sport, like Brady is and like LeBron is and like all these other people are, people are always going to kind of try to knock your legacy and bring you back down to earth. So now Belichick's on the hot hot seat, like you were saying, and I totally agree that there is definitely a sense of urgency. Like this isn't something you can slow play and be like, ah, we'll be competitive in like four to five years as Tom Brady is still competing and winning for championships. Like, like and God the forbid Patriots, he wins another one without Bill. Oh then my, it's yeah. terrible. It's a, that's a bad look for Bill Belichick. No, no. I, again, and like you said too, Bill's not getting any younger and like he's pushing 70. So it's like, how much longer is he even going to do this? Like, like what if this kind of, 
next three years, I could honestly see it being it. And if they don't get a guy, like draft a guy and then have him be the franchise quarterback, then what is he going to stick around for? I mean, he's done everything. He's proved that he's one of the greatest coaches, but it's like yeah. now it almost turns what's into an ego keep thing. Him around longer now is to prove that he can win without Brady. I think if Brady mm-hmm. just went to Tampa, they made it to the playoffs a couple of times. They never actually got through to the Super Bowl and won a Super Bowl. I think mm-hmm. within three years, Bill would have been like, you know what? I'm done. But I think that Brady's Super Bowl is going to light a fire under Bill saying I need to win one now. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I, I, I agree 100%. And I know Belichick doesn't really seem to be an ego guy, but there there is a, always a sense of pride and people mm-hmm. are very protective of their legacy. And that's kind of what we're arguing at the end of the day. It's just Brady versus Belichick. And that's how this whole season started. And that debate is, isn't going to end until one of them retires. You mentioned legacy. Let's shift over to the Chiefs and what this loss does for the legacy of the Chiefs. More specifically, Patrick Mahomes. Now, the last couple of days, Monday, Tuesday, since the Super Bowl, I've seen a lot of people walk back on their praise for Mahomes, saying, you know, he's not, you know, not not saying he's bad, not saying he's not amazing, yeah. but, you know, kind of walking back saying he's not this invincible guy. Um, I don't think that's necessarily fair. We got through in the first segment talking about how I think you think none of this is his fault, but he did lose and that's going to hurt him in the long run Mm -hmm. when he's judged at the end of his career, when you put him against, you know, Brady and Montana and Favre and Rogers. But I don't think that this necessarily is the end of the chiefs. I remember I saw on Instagram that there was a comparison between the arc of Mahomes' first three years and the arc of uh, Russell Wilson's first three years. Both made the playoffs in their first year as a starter, lost in the playoffs. Both won the Super Bowl and then lost the Super Bowl the next two years. And then ever since then, Russell Wilson's career is kind of flat, not flattened out from a personal level, but his team definitely team, hasn't yeah. gotten back to where he was earlier in his career. I don't think that's the same that's going to happen with Kansas City. I think that we're going to see the Chiefs back I think that we're going to see the Chiefs back not only, you know, once, maybe twice or three times before it's all said and said and done. Um, I think there's definitely holes that they need to fix. I think that the Buccaneers definitely exposed some flaws in the Chiefs that we've never seen before. And I think they're a smart organization and they're going to try their best to patch that up in the draft and in free agency. But I don't think this is the end of Patrick Mahomes. I don't think this is the end of the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, But you know, it's a rough loss. And then I guess we're kind of, we always react to what happened. Yeah. So we always mm-hmm. overreact. Like if the Chiefs won this game, we'd be like, it's over. Mahomes is probably yeah. going to be better than Brady at the end. But that's mm-hmm. not what happened. So we take the opposite angle and saying, you know, Mahomes isn't going to touch Brady. This might be it for them because that contract kicks mm-hmm. in and then it's going to flatten out. I don't know if that's the case. I think the Chiefs are going to be fine. I think this is just you chalk it up to you just got beat on one given Sunday. You just got beat. And I think coming into next year, I think they should be the favorite to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, I I definitely think that in 2021, I still think they're going to ball out. They're probably going to make the Super Bowl again. They very well might win it. And they might even have a a rematch between them and the Bucks. But I do see a very eerily similar kind of, uh, I guess, timeline to the uh, Seahawks. Same deal where after they lost the Super Bowl, that contract for Russell, like Russell got an extension. And then now, not next year, but the year after, Mahomes' is 50 million kicks in. Like, I am so, I, I would honestly say excited to see what their GM and front office does 
to kind of work around that amount of salary given to to one person. I I have no idea. That's my biggest fear for the Chiefs is that they're going to run into an issue where, like, you needed to pay Mahomes. He's probably even getting underpaid. People could argue. But at the end of the day, with the salary cap sport and roster, like how much I guess is, is too much. And I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of holes on their team that they're not going to be able to address because of the money. I think it's kind of, it might break down to being as simple as that. And that's obviously what you see with the Seahawks right now is Russell Wilson is begging for them to get him some help. Now, part of that would be, hey, don't trade two first rounders for Jamal Adams. And then the other part is too, well, Russell Wilson is getting $37 million a year. Imagine if he was just, say, getting 30, then you could kind of get probably a top-notch uh, lineman. Now, I'm not saying he should take a pay cut, but you get what I mean, that there's only there's a finite amount of money that you could kind of pay to people. So at what point does that kind of bubble burst for the QB market? I wonder why these premier quarterbacks, with all the opportunities they have off the field to make money, whether it be endorsements, business ventures, <laughs> I guess, appearances that they don't take more of a team-friendly contract and make up that salary with non-football income, whether it be commercials or endorsements mm-hmm. or what I whatever I just said. Um, I'm mm-hmm. surprised that a lot of I, – I think Tom Brady went that route. I know LeBron yeah. went that route because LeBron, you can, make argument, mm-hmm. you can make the argument that he makes more money off the court than on the court. Tiger Woods yeah. is not a team sport, so it doesn't really apply, but he probably makes so much more money yeah, oh my God. off the course off, than he yeah. on the course. So I'm surprised yeah. major athletes, especially with a team sport, salary cap sport, don't go that route to, you know, I guess, supplement the cash that you would lose on mm-hmm. what the organization's paying you so they can get better talent and then you make it up. But, you know, everybody's entitled to get the contract and the money that they want and they deserve. And Patrick Mahomes definitely going to deserve that money that he's going to get, not next year, the year after. But you, you hit the nail on the head. How are they going to... Um, put together a Super Bowl roster around him with so much money committed to him. Can they mm-hmm. keep Hill? And Kelsey's getting up there in age, so we we might see a cheaper alternative at tight end soon. Can they keep the defensive weapons? Can they improve the defense? Can they improve the offensive line that we see now needs improvement? Can they do all that under $50 million committed to Patrick Mahomes? That's That's tough. We really haven't ever seen it before with someone making that kind of money um, have a roster around them. We've seen, we've, we have perfect examples right now. Wilson's not happy. Rogers isn't happy. They're both making a lot, a lot of money. That's dedicated. A lot of percentages uh, dedicated a large percentage to the salary gap. So it's Mm going to be interesting to see how great Patrick Mahomes is. If he could cover up, the deficiencies that their roster is going to have because his contract's so high. Yeah. I mean, again, you referenced other athletes too, and then kind of same deal with a rod. He was originally going to go to the red Sox and he was going to take a pay cut. So as much as I even say it a ton too, that, Hey, they should get what they deserve. But like someone like Russell Wilson, now you hear his comments. I was like, Oh, like I'm, I'm kind of mad at the front office and I'm mad that I don't have any protection. I, I want to stop getting hit. Yeah, like that that completely makes sense and that's totally warranted. But then hey, maybe again, like like I said before, take a five million dollar pay cut. Don't get 37, get 32. I think like you could do wonders with that, even if it just allows you to get one extra guy. 
So it, I think it's going to eventually get to the point where these Mahomes and these other quarterbacks are going to keep getting like even Dak eventually too. They're going to complain about, oh, I don't have this, I don't have that, I don't have that. Well, you're kind of hoarding all the cash. I mean, the the cap the the cap uh, salary cap is 180 for next year, and then you assume the year after that, say it goes to 200. Mahomes is getting 50 million dollars of that 200 million dollars. So that to me is very eye opening. You're giving a quarter, a full 25 percent to one player. And I know the quarterback and you said it, I've agreed with you. Quarterback is the most position on most important position on the field and probably in the, in the history of sports and in all sports, but 25% of the cap, I think is borderline madness. And I think that is a recipe for disaster. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting. And you would hate to see Mahomes career follow the trajectory of Russell Wilson. I'm not saying Russell Wilson's flamed out in the NFL, because, you know, he's still putting together numbers, but his just roster is not mm-hmm. there. So it sucked to see yeah. Mahomes get buried under a mediocre roster because of his um because of what is coming to him and what kind of money is owed. Um <laughs> Andy Reid, what do you think his future holds? How much longer do you think he's gonna go? Because he has his Super Bowl, so you can never say that, you know, the old adage before last year was that he couldn't win the win the big game. He won the big game, but mm-hmm. he unfortunately lost this big game. He's getting he's a guy that's getting up there. Do we think that, you know, the Chiefs might be looking for a new head coach in the coming years? I think yeah, I, I would say maybe you give Andy Reid like two, three more years max. And, and I think that's where it's gonna get interesting with B enemy, because I'm sure the Chiefs would love to have him as yeah. their head coach. So maybe there's some internal discussions after this season because we already know B enemy isn't getting a head coach job. Maybe Andy Reid says, "Hey, listen, I'm I'm doing my two extra years. The enemy signs a two-year offensive coordinator deal, and then they have a seamless transition with you have the same. So you have an offensive coordinator becomes head coach, and you still have Mahomes. You still have the same scheme, same game plan, same everything, same uh, signals, all all that good stuff. So I think that to me would be uh, a very interesting and seamless transition for the Chiefs. And I definitely think that Reid." probably two to three more years. And it's nothing against his ability, but like you said, he's just getting old. I mean, at the end of the day, you're not going to do this forever. Uh, one more thing about these two teams before we get into some offseason stuff. Um, the Tyron Matthew thing was very weird with the, um, with the taunting and then getting in Brady's face. And then later saying that, Oh, Tom Brady said something like he said on Twitter, Tom Brady said something that he wouldn't repeat. And then I guess everybody found out Tom Brady was actually mic'd for the entire game. And then Matthew deleted the tweet because he realized that he probably couldn't prove it. And then Tom mm-hmm. Brady texted him and apologized for the altercation. It was a very weird thing. It was a very unfortunate part of the game. Um, I don't, it didn't need to happen. I understand it's the Super Bowl. It's the biggest game of your life mm-hmm. and there's tempers flare, but you know, there's, there's no room for that. And I think Matthew's better than that. I mean, he's had a pass, but he's cleaned it up since he's got to Kansas mm-hmm. city. That was, especially when your team's losing and you're losing your composure like that, I thought that really affected the defense f- for that entire game because, you know, Matthew's one of the leaders of that defense and he kind of lost it a little bit. Yeah, and, and I definitely think you kind of hit the nail on the head there too. Another person too, Chris Jones, was like, he was flirting with with unnecessary roughness mm-hmm. and then 
uh, personal fouls that like first quarter. Like I would have thrown a billion dollars that he was going to get tossed out of the game. Just like his antics were just very aggressive and extracurricular just after the, after the, the whistle and stuff like that. And then it kind of bled into Matthew. And then that's a situation where, like you said before, it, obviously tempers are going to flare uh, adrenaline's pumping. I get that. But someone like Tyron Matthew or any player Christians too, like if you kind of like talk smack in the game, you know, Brady's going to give it back. And that's exactly what he did, especially when he scored on a B. So it's like, it almost seemed like kind of crybaby-ish, I guess, yeah. with Matthew because he was like, obviously he was getting he was losing. Same thing with Chris Jones; he was getting bullied. The whole off, uh, defensive line for the Chiefs was pretty much getting bullied at the line of scrimmage, and they didn't like it. And how did they respond? And it wasn't really a good response. Now, to to Matthew's credit, he did kind of clean it up in the second half. Like you really didn't see any uh, altercations. Really, he seemed to kind of be calm. But I definitely think he beyond lost his cool along with the rest of that defense. And you even saw it. He was like mouthing off to a coach and then just threw his helmet down when he ran into the locker room at halftime. Like this is the Super Bowl. Like you got to figure it out. Yeah. And towards the end of the fourth quarter, there was the, um, I guess Mahomes threw a pick and then um, somebody on Tampa threw up deuces in reference to Tyreek. Oh, Antoine Winfield. Yeah. 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 So that, it just goes back to, to me, to the, just the shot, the most shocking thing about that and really the whole game was how, I guess, flustered Kansas City was when they've been in this situation mm-hmm. a million times. You can't even say that it was because they were down and they'd never been down before. They're down all the time. So it's not something that's new to them, losing and needing to come from behind. It just felt like the mm-hmm. Super Bowl, for whatever reason, they just they lost their cool. And I thought that was shocking. And I think, I don't know how you fix it. I think it's just, you just, I think a lot of this with the Chiefs was just, it was just that, day. it was just a day. It was the day that every yeah. team has, and it just happened to be on the Super Bowl. But it was just shocking to me that they seem to have uh, they 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 seem to let the moment get the best of them, and they're better than that. And it contributed yeah. to the quality of the game we got. Oh my, I, I think so too. I mean, kind of the last thing with that is usually it comes down to kind of leadership, and it comes down to the coaching. And again, not to say they have bad in either of the two. But they just needed legit one touchdown, I think, to make everything kind of at ease and make it all right. But they just couldn't get that. Yeah. I thought they had all the momentum in the world a couple moments in that game. The interception we talked about, that goal line stands. Mm-hmm. I thought Kansas City was going to run away. Oh, my away God. Yeah. yeah. That. It just, they just never were able to get on it. A lot of that was the offensive line. A lot of it was just the defense just couldn't stop Brady. Um, just ru- making their own mistakes, shooting themselves in the foot. But at the end of the day, the Buccaneers are the world champions and they will have, you know, that, I guess, bragging rights throughout the summer as we get into mm-hmm. the 2021 season. Um, right before the Super Bowl, pretty uh, significant news uh, broke. Uh, Carson Wentz is about to get traded somewhere. Not sure where, mm-hmm. um, but he seems to be out the door. Now, I guess the door was open a little bit after the Peterson firing that he might stay mm-hmm. and there might be a little bit of a competition, but he seems to be a guy that's done with the organization as a whole. Um, a lot of teams out there need quarterbacks. We talked about it a lot over the last couple of weeks, but Wentz seems like one of the options that might not be the most enticing. He seems like damaged goods to me when there's so many mm-hmm. other options, a Watson, the quarterbacks in the draft, um, maybe even Russell Wilson, maybe even Aaron Rodgers. So many quarterbacks out there. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's, I don't know who's going to take that chance on Wentz who was horrible this year. Let's, let's call it as we see it was terrible yeah 
and deserved to mm-hmm. lose his job to uh, Jalen Hurts. I'm not sure if it's the wisest decision for an organization with all the options they have this summer to choose Carson Wentz. Yeah, and and all the rumors that I saw are leading to that it's the Bears that are in on Wentz, and and people are saying they might be uh, giving up a first rounder and maybe even another pick or another first rounder. I That's just rough. that it, it and like you said before, like and all that money go. Yeah, yeah. So exactly, you're picking up that contract too. So it's like, what about a Dak? What about when Stafford w- was? I make the argument. He- I'd rather. If I'm a team, if I'm the Bears and I'm getting rid of Trubinsky because I, I he's not the guy, I'd make the mm-hmm. argument I'd rather roll the dice with Sam Darnold at a cheap contract than because they're both they're both damaged goods, both Darnold and yeah. Wentz. It just comes down to the the fact that you know Darnold's on a rookie deal and Wentz is making all this money. So I don't mm-hmm. I don't see the value in Carson Wentz at all, especially to give up a first, second round, first and second round pick and take that contract. I don't. Th- I wouldn't do that if I was any organization. I think this goes back to something that we've talked about exclusively throughout every single episode. Is that in the NFL and most sports too? It it's not okay to be okay and to sit in the middle. So now you have the Bears, who are again they made the playoffs, but they got spanked by the Saints. They didn't even deserve to be there. Now you have the Bears, who have a guy like Khalil Mack and Roquan Smith, like two premier defensive guys they want to get the most out of them while they're on the roster and i can't fault them for that but it just so happens to be that you screwed up taking trubisky so there's strike one now you're making a desperation move for a guy like wentz and again i don't think that does anything for for that team and on top of that you're going to be losing Allen robinson so it's like they're a team that is going to be sitting in the middle and if you're going to be that eight and eight, why would you want to give up first rounders? Yeah. And it's and on top of that, why would you want to take on cap? It, it, it just to me, if the move goes through, when it goes through, because I think it is, makes absolutely no sense to me. Yeah. I mean, it, either be bad or be good. We've talked about this. You just said it. We talked about this a lot. Either be terrible or be good. If you're in that, you know, ten to twenty range in the draft, that's that's not that's not a good position. That's why the NBA. Yeah gets rid of has a lottery because they don't want people tanking. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, there's so many other options than Wentz. And if and what's really the big difference between at this point, Trubisky and Wentz, Wentz is obviously a better player, but mm-hmm. is that talent upgrade? Does that wash out the money that you now owe Carson Wentz? I don't think it does. I think yeah. you're the bears. Mm-hmm. I think that you, um, you got to either take a quarterback in the draft or you go big and get, Watson or get whatever big quarterbacks on the trading block. Um, Other, other teams that might go after Wentz, the Niners. um, I don't think the Eagles would trade them in division to Washington. Um, Panthers, Panthers. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see. It's just like Colts, Colts, even. I I just don't see the value in it. I don't see the value in Carson Wentz. If he showed any potential this year, you'd say maybe, but he looked terrible. He looked hard. He yeah. looked horrible. Like maybe, so, maybe if he restructures his contract, but he's not going to yeah. do that because why the hell would he do that? Yeah, he's not going to do that because he's never going to make that money back. So it doesn't make it doesn't make sense. Um, going into the offseason with the NFL, big dates, free agencies in March, drafts at the end yeah. of April, and then we go into the summer, and then you got mini camp, training camp, all that. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about let's let's talk about 
we talked about it a little bit when they got eliminated. Let's talk about our teams, Giants and Dolphins. Mm-hmm. Um, we're officially in the offseason, so officially things are going to start happening. Um, I think that both teams have similar needs. Both teams need those weapons, and both need, teams, mm-hmm. I guess, need to decide is the quarterback that we currently have a guy that we're going to rely on for two to three years. Mm-hmm. For the next, I'm sorry, not two to three years, for the next 10 years. Yeah, and and I think, like you said before, Dolphins and Giants are in, I think, two great positions because they both have top 10 in amount of cap and they both have uh, a lot of draft capital too. So these next, I could even say next year, I think is the biggest draft class for definitely for the Dolphins and I think even even more so for Daniel Jones and and the Giants. You need to get him the help he needs so then you could really start evaluating him because you don't want to cut ties with him when... Golden Tate is his best weapon. And you have Evan Ingram dropping balls on the regular. Same thing with Tua. All right, you have him. You have uh, you had three rookie offensive linemen. Now you want to see, all right, what can he do with somewhat of a competent team around him? And then you could start evaluating, all right, maybe we need to go down a different avenue at quarterback. And I think luckily for both teams, I would say they easily have playoff, if not uh conference championship level defenses and i don't think either team is far off from having super bowl contending defenses but both teams on offense they severely need to upgrade not only their personnel but honestly just the results and just the 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 outcomes that come from each game i mean giants and and dolphins have shared a similar kind of trajectory where we never really had that crazy explosive high-flying offense and i feel like it's something that we deserve at this point. Yeah. Like we, we I, need something. I agree. And, and again, it's how awesome that we have good GM defense. How, how many years has the GM for the dolphins been there? So he's been there, not as the GM, but he's like been there for like 10 plus years as oh, the GM. He's been there for like five or six, but t- we had Tannenbaum six. come in for, and prior to last year where he got fired, like this was like Chris Greer's first year this past off season as the, like the decision maker because Tannenbaum, even though he wasn't the GM made all the decisions for whatever reason. And that didn't really do much for us. I asked that because I know Gettleman's on year four or five. It's not, it's not the first three. It's like four or five at this point. And I think mm-hmm. as a giant fan that in terms of his uh, job security playoffs are, you're gone. Now, do you feel the same way next year your front office? Um, or you think it's, or you think I, it's one more year? I think there's, I think it's next year. And I think it's a year after that. And I think, I I think kind of like him, Flores, and Tua. Flores being the guy who's probably the safest, but GM and Tua being the guys who are hey not this year but the year after that. If you're not doing anything, then hey maybe you're you're kind of the the reason we're not. I think I think the Giants are the same exact way. I think in terms of safety, I think it's Judge Jones Gettleman. So if the Giants have a bad mm-hmm. year, I can see Gettleman out. I can see Jones out and I can see judge staying. Like, I think that big years for those two guys and you know, it's going to start with the NFL draft. The giants have the 11th pick, I believe 11 or 10. So it's not the best position to be in, but there should be a guy or a dude out there at that point that can make that offense better. Dolphins. Yeah. In a different situation. They have a really good pick at three. They also have what? Seven. They have three, they have th- no, three, three and 18, three and, and 18. they have two seconds. Yeah. And two yeah. seconds. So they have a lot to play with, 
But it, it, it's it becomes a lot more interesting that the Deshaun Watson trade is far from a slam dunk, especially with the Jets. So you might have the Jets mm-hmm. taking someone that the Dolphins might have taken had there mm-hmm. been, you know, a trade with Watson going to New York. So yeah. that three spot, are you looking at, you know, the guard from Oregon and Seawall or Smith? Who do you think the best guy is for Tua? I think if they stay put at three, again, I, I've been going back and forth and back and forth, and you have to look at, all right, what is the drop-off from Sewell to the next best offensive lineman? Then you have, have to look at what is the drop-off, not just from Smith, but from Smith, Chase, and Waddle to the next best, best kind of group of wide receivers. Those and three I guys think, aren't going to be there at 18 probably. Exactly. So that's why I'm kind of counting all of them. So I, I want to say, I haven't done too, too much research, but just from what I've seen that the drop-off from Sewell to the next best offensive lineman is a lot bigger than the drop-off in those top three wide receivers to the bottom. So that leads me to believe, and the same reason uh, or kind of same way we look at the Chiefs and their mishaps was their offensive line was terrible. So it might not be the best pick, but go get, or as of right now, go get uh, the Oregon uh, guard tackle uh, yeah. Penny Sewell, and and some of like some fans are going to be like kind of roll their eyes and groan at that because it's not the most of ex- course it's not exciting and you know everybody wants um, the exactly receiver, everybody wants the quarterback everyone wants the running back right but you know mm-hmm. as we've seen in the Super Bowl two days ago if you don't have that offensive line doesn't matter how good your receivers are doesn't matter how good your quarterback mm-hmm. is because the Chiefs have the mm-hmm. best receivers and the best quarterback but they didn't have the offensive line on Sunday and they got killed so yep. Even if the dolphin, even if you know the dolphins take Sewell, and the fans are like, "Come on, we wanted Smith." We yeah. Case mm-hmm. at the it, in the long run, it'll be probably best for Tua because you can find wide receivers anywhere, and you can exactly. find them next you year. You free agency, and there's free agency with all that pick, and you have so many picks that you can get two receivers in 18 and the first second round pick you have, and then get another offensive mm-hmm. line guy with that other second round pick if they don't trade back or or make a trade. Yeah. So I think mm-hmm. the Dolphins are in a good spot no matter what they do. The Giants is a little more mm-hmm. pressing because they don't have, yes. the, I guess, safety nets that the Dolphins do. They don't have another first round yeah. pick and they don't have a million second round picks. Giants need yeah. to get it right. I've seen I've seen mock drafts with Kyle Pitts. I like Kyle Pitts, but it mm-hmm. kind of sucks that you're essentially giving up on Evan Ingram and then you're admitting yeah. that that was a mistake. And that's kind of annoying because now you're resetting at a position when you could have, if... Evan Ingram was just good at his job. You could have just addressed another position that you need. So mm-hmm. the Giants need to decide what Ingram's future is, and you got to see who's there. It's hard to predict what the Giants are going to have have at their disposal because it, so much can happen in the first ten picks that doesn't even matter. Um, yeah, I would love a receiver. I think it needs to be a weapon for Jones because you can have Barkley mm-hmm. back. You need that. You need that uh, downfield threat. If you're Jones, not only for mm-hmm. him, but to respect it for Barkley to open up play action, to open up, you know, mm-hmm. open up space in the flat for um, for Saquon. So I th- the Giants, you can read all the mock drafts if you want, as you want, as a Giants fan, but you just got to wait until April 30th or whenever it is. You just got to wait until that day and see what happens, see what's on the board. Now, how would you feel, say, if the Giants prior to the draft dealt Evan Ingram like would that then be a slam dunk to get Kyle Pitts now what are you getting what are you getting for Evan Ingram though 
Let's it, let's it, say can I you feel like a, can you get a second round pick for Evan Ingram? I was gonna say maybe I feel, I feel like you could get a late second or early third. I feel like yeah. that shouldn't be too. Crazy. I mean, if, if there's a draft day trade where they give up Ingram and they get another second round pick, um, I could I I'll 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 I guess I'm down for for Pitts and then have that second round pick and then mm-hmm. you have two second round picks to address I guess wide receiver and I guess a uh, defensive a uh, defensive edge. Um, I can see yeah. that, but you know. I just don't like the fact that we spent a first round pick on Ingram and then within five years or four years, whenever it was, we have to take another tight end in the first round. I think Pitts can be a very yeah. good I think Pitts can be a very good tight end in the league. It's just I guess the <laughs> principle that the Giants are admitting they fucked up with Ingram. And that's kind of annoying. I don't like Ingram. I want him off the team, but I'd yeah, rather yeah. use that pick at the receiver position where they're completely um behind the eight ball. So I don't know. No, yeah, and again, it's going to be very interesting to see how both of our teams tackle free agency, and I think that will will basically dictate and kind of lay out a game plan for what the draft is going to look like. But overall, definitely agree with you 100% that the Giants are in a trickier position where Gettleman's job, and I know we've said this for the past couple of years, but this year, 2021 draft class, his job is probably on the line. Like yeah. if, if that draft pick doesn't pan out and doesn't pan out within the next year or two, then you have to say, all right, listen, he's got to go. Because yeah. like you said, Giants have to make the playoffs episodes. this year. The, the division's yes. not making that much of an improvement where it's going to be the best division in football. It's still probably going to be the worst division in football. Wentz is going to be out of there. So the Eagles are going to have theoretically a rookie quarterback in Hertz. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess Dak coming back healthy would make the Cowboys the, I guess, favorite in that division. We have no yeah. idea what Washington's going to be because we don't know who their quarterback is. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the giants, they, they have a window if they make the right off off season, I guess, acquisitions and moves to challenge the Cowboys to win that division. And I think that they went from four I definitely and think so too. to six and 10. I, I need at least nine and seven. I need at least nine and seven in 2021. If anything less than that, I'm getting rid of get, anything less than that with no playoffs is out for Gettleman. If they go eight and eight, make the playoffs fine, but anything less than nine and seven and making the playoffs, I'm not happy with. But yeah, I and I, I, th- I think that's also perfectly fine to raise your expectations. I mean, it, it, it's it's very lazy for fans of teams when they should be in positions to again not win a Super Bowl, but they should be competitive. They should be competing for divisional titles, especially when, like you said before, division isn't that strong. There's no reason the Giants with that defense, uh, and they still have Daniel some continuity in Daniel Jones and Saquon coming back. And you have Andrew Thomas now, year two. Why shouldn't they be a uh, divisional kind of uh, uh, contender? Like, it, it should be kind of be no really if fans or but, uh, buts about it. Like they have to be contending for one, and if they're not, then somebody kind of needs to get fired for it. Um, I just looked it up because uh, I didn't. I wasn't. I didn't know for sure if it there was going to be this this year. But the com- there's going to be no combine this year. Yeah. That that's hard. That's, I, I, I've that's seen... hard to decipher talent. You can't interview the guy. You can't see mm-hmm. them in all the drills. You can have to go to their campus and watch them. That's that's yeah. real. That, that's tough for scouts and general managers to deal with this offseason. I I definitely think that the people sitting out for again we're assuming for COVID reasons and they have every right to. But if people kind of just sat out to sit out, I think like guys like Jamar Chase and Michael Parsons are going to get severely hurt, especially when they can't show up to the combine and compete against 
some of the best players in the nation. So now they have to do it just at a pro day, even if they do that. Like, I, I really don't know how it's going to work. And I think that's why the Dolphins and Panthers were kind of foaming at the mouth for the senior bowl. And I know they didn't get all the best players, but I would say they got a, a decent chunk of them and they got their hands on them and they could interview them 24 seven for that, that week that they had them. And now you're looking at like this evaluation process for these other teams is going to be very difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it's interesting. I don't know how it's different. going to be with the combine because a lot of these mm-hmm. scouts get a lot of information not only their on-field abilities, but how they are off the field with the combine, being mm-hmm. there in person, interviewing them face to face. So we'll see how that goes with the uh, with the draft coming up at the end of April. Um, anything else before any last, I guess, thoughts on the Super Bowl? Any early thoughts on the off season before we wrap up this episode? I just uh, again, I my my only thing with the offseason, and we talked about it last uh, last week, is that I don't think Watson is going to be traded at all. Yeah, it's going to be hard. That Stafford mm-hmm. trade really killed him. I think so too. Yeah, uh, I don't. He's going to have to figure it out. I said this last week. Like when we get to June and July and training camp opens, let's see if he's actually serious about not playing for Houston, because he can talk yeah, all the I'm- shit he wants now. But mm-hmm. until he's forced to go to forced to either sit out or take those um, fines that he'll get, mm-hmm. we'll, ne- we'll never know if he's serious. And that handcuffs a lot of teams because if you're, let's say, the Jets and you want Watson, and but you're also looking at um, um, blanking on the quarterback at Ohio State, Zach Wilson, oh, yeah, Justin any Fields. of the quarterbacks, any of the Justin Fields, any of the quarterbacks, if you're if you're wait, you can't wait on Watson. What if you draft Fields, right? And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden the Texans trade Watson away, and yeah. you weren't able to give them the fresh draft pick where they can make the decision that they want. Th- this mm-hmm. Watson thing is going to hang over the league for a long time until there's a resolution one way or the other. Yeah, I definitely think so too, and I think. Again, with the way with the way the the Texans seem to have no urgency to trade him, that to me tells me that they're not gonna. Because if they were gonna make a deal, just like you said, you're gonna do it before the draft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll be there every step of the way. Long off season. NFL has the longest mm-hmm. off season because they have the shortest season. So I looked it up: 212 days until Week One of next year. Which oh, is Lord. daunting, but we get through it every year. Yeah, it'll be fine. Pitchers and catchers reports next week, so we got that. We got that going for us. And that, more important, that leads us right into the entire summer, right into the NFL again. So it's a constant cycle of, I guess, heartbreak yeah. for us. We, yeah, Yankees. Don't, <laughs> yeah. Yankees we, we we watch the Yankees all spring and summer for them to get for them to lose in the ALCS, and then we shift right into the Dolphins and Giants for them not to even make the playoffs. And then we go right back into the Yankees again. So that's just the way our lives work. But mm-hmm. we do it anyway, year after year. <laughs> that will just about do it for this edition of Ice the Kicker. For Matt Ferrar, my name is Glenn Negers. We will see you next week.